This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 12. And the quote of the day is from my father who always said, Nick, you're better off going through life wanting something you don't have than having something you don't want. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and today I have Dylan Wissing on the show. And Dylan Wissing appears on Grammy-winning, platinum-selling, and number-one-charting albums by artists like Alicia Keys, Drake, Kanye West, Jay-Z, and Rick Ross. And as a full-time professional, he's played over 25 years and 3,000 shows all around the United States and Europe and records regularly for Grammy-winning producers and independent artists as the indie studio drummer. Um, So he won a Grammy Award last year, and a couple records that he played on this year are up for Grammys. So he definitely has a lot of knowledge to share about the industry, how it works, uh, you know, how you can kind of tailor your skills uh, to make some money in this this tough business of being an independent drummer. So definitely a good interview today. So without further ado, the interview with Dylan Wissing. Check it out. All right, so we're here in Hoboken. We're in Dylan Wissing's studio. Triple Colossal. Triple Colossal studio. And uh, so this is a new studio that you just you just moved into, not really recently, but ever since the, uh, the hurricane, right? Yeah, since uh, Hurricane Irene. My old studio was totally destroyed in a flood, and uh, I got to rebuild better. Bigger and better than before. Awesome. So it's been it was a, a rough year of rebuilding, but on the other side of it, it's been a, a much better situation. And this place is—I mean, this place is great, man. It's beautiful. I don't—I don't, I don't know how you ever leave this place. <laughs> I've been here all the time. Uh, sometimes I have to. <laughs> I spend a lot of time here, so. Um, which means you're working a lot. Which I, is good. I'm staying very busy. It's good. Yeah, it's yeah you're good. not like sleeping on the couch. Or... No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Every drum I have moved out of the apartment and down here, so my wife is very happy. There you go. Um, so it's nice at this point. There are days that I want to do absolutely nothing in rhythm. If it's, I don't even want to walk in time. Right, right. Um, so it's good. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's one of those careful what you ask for because you might get it kind of deals. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So what? How did you? Uh, how'd you get into all this? I mean, you're you're you do a lot of. Uh, I know you do touring work and and you do session work and stuff like that. But your your main thing is doing drum tracks for artists, correct? At this point, yeah, I, I was on I was on tour forever. I'm, I'm originally from Bloomington, Indiana, uh, which has a, a great music school. Ken Aronoff was there. Sean Pelton was there. So I was studying with those guys when I was in high school, um, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so I was on tour forever, for uh, 13 years, pretty much nonstop with this band, Johnny Sacco, that were based out of, out of Indiana. Um, did a lot of that, did a bunch of records. Uh, when I moved out to the East Coast, I was still doing more touring, but then, uh, you know, I got married and had a child. And um, touring, just endless touring seemed less and less appealing. Uh, I still do it occasionally when the situation's right, but um, as my main bread and butter, I just wanted to move out of that and... Uh, so, at a certain point, I just decided it was time to, to dive in and just commit full-time to to being a studio drummer, uh, which is when I started my, my website, IndieStudioDrummer.com, and um, I'd been working with a bunch of different artists and producers before that, um, 
but it was on a much more sort of random basis. I mean, I mm-hmm. realized the um, the industry has moved so much away from that big studio model where right. you know you have a big studio and you wait for the producer to call you and then they, you bring in all your stuff there and do it. I mean, everybody can do everything in their bedrooms, mm-hmm. with the pretty much with the exception of uh, good sounding drum tracks. So my uh, my initial conception for the studio was it was just going to be everyone's online drum room, right? Um, and pretty quickly realized that you can do a, if you have a whole bunch of microphones and a whole bunch of pre's and a, a space, um, you can do a whole lot more than that. So um, adding a, a large video component and um, I started doing full band tracking in here and, and right. um, I mean hosting. I've had a kickboxing roundtable discussion in here which is pretty hilarious uh, <laughs> and um so they're just using it for the audio quality yeah to, yeah know, to sit around and shoot the shit and just yeah exactly nice yeah yell at each other about <clears throat> what you're supposed to eat uh pretty funny actually that was a, good... <laughs> a little different from my usual right. usual work <laughs> so um so you were talking about some of the artists that you that you worked with. Um, so you've done some stuff for Alicia Keys, mm-hmm. uh, Drake. You won a Grammy award with Drake, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't get a statue. I get a, a nice certificate saying I worked on a Grammy-winning record. So Drake it's, got a statue. It's a yes or no question. Did you? Win, yes, did you win? I a worked Gra- on a Grammy-winning record, <laughs> and, and a few that are nominated. And I'll find out shortly. Right. So, uh, so this year, what Grammys? Uh, this year, uh, I worked on uh, Alicia Keys' "Girl on Fire," which is up for best R&B record, and um, uh, Kanye West "Jesus" uh, up for best rap record. Nice, nice. Uh, those are those are cool. It was fun. I like those. I like those jobs. Yeah, they always come at the absolute last second. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> I'm happy. No, it's to... like no, change this. Change no. This this is great. No, don't do this. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's like somebody is literally going to die if they don't have these drum tracks in. Two hours. Right. It's a huge, huge, huge job. So, um, you know, it's it's sort of like being an emergency uh, emergency room surgeon, sort of. Or at least I like to tell my wife it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta go. I got yeah, my beeper just went off. People, <laughs> heads are literally going to roll. <laughs> so I always like to get the backstory on how people started playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. How, where where did you start? How did you get into um, drumming in general? Like I said, I'm I'm originally from Indiana. My um, my great grandfather was a uh, he was a drummer and a, a songwriter back in the, going back to the um, to the teens uh, through the late fifties. So he um, played in circus and vaudeville based out of Vincennes, Indiana, uh, and he managed the theater where where um, artists like um, uh, Duke Ellington, Count Basie mm-hmm. would come through. And, um, um, so he was, I mean, he died in the late fifties, uh, but he's still, I mean, his songs are still getting, still getting some, some minor play. I, I don't think most people would know them, but they're still out there in the world. Right. Um, so he was very influential in my father's family. Um, and, uh, apparently by the time when I was an infant, my parents' favorite, or my favorite thing to do was they'd put me in the kitchen with a bunch of pots and pans and wooden spoons. Yeah. uh, you know, bang on them endlessly. Uh-huh. So um, I guess it must be genetic. My son does the same thing. He's nice. Three. So, um, yeah, banging on things and making noise with sticks just seemed like the thing to do. <laughs> and um, so 
so I started school band in in, um, in junior high in sixth grade uh, and, and started doing it somewhat officially. Um, had a, a great music program in Bloomington, Indiana, and um, having the, uh, the Indiana University School of Music there mm-hmm. was uh, that was a big help. I mean, we could they would bring in bring in professors or visiting artists to the school, um, and um, so then when I was um, I think it was in seventh grade, my friend my parents became friends with Kenny Aronoff, and they would hang out and do stuff socially, and um, so you know I hang out with them and then oh yeah Kenny's on TV and turn it on there'd be there'd be Kenny and and uh, and it it sort of set me I, I didn't realize at the time how hard it is to get to Kenny's level right uh, I just said oh yeah Kenny's friend oh yeah cool he's on Saturday Night Live and I want to do that too right um, so that sort of uh, that did set me in motion and um, on a path I'm still on today I'm uh, I just saw Kenny play actually in uh, in New York City with John Fogarty and he's great. He's <laughs> he's still the greatest rock and roll drummer in the world. <laughs> he's Kenny Arnold. He's Kenny Arnold. So, yeah, um, cool. Although I was cursing him after the show, saying you know I could have been a plumber or an accountant. Or, there's some there are a lot of easier ways to make a living. Right. But uh, you know whatever. What are you gonna do? Right. The die is cast. Um, yeah. So anyhow, when um, so when I was 13, that that really. That final, I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I know what I'm going to do with my life, uh, and really, everything I'm doing today just follows. That just all follows straight from that um, uh, from that early experience. Um, uh, played in, in jazz bands in high school, um, and started doing my own stuff, started my own groups. I um, I went to a, I used school of music as a. Um, oh, pardon me. I, uh, I started as a jazz studies major at IU, and um, did that for two years, and then realized that the you went to school with Jimmy, right? Yeah, Coleman. Yeah, Jimmy Coleman. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, we were in, I think, in the same class. Um, I realized about two years in that the academic world of music really wasn't for me. Right. Um, I'm glad I had the experience, and it's helped. Um, I wish I'd paid more attention to the piano and theory, but. Uh, you know, it just, it wasn't the right fit for me. I ended up as a French major and, um, based on some time I had spent in France and, um, I, I ended up playing a lot more drums as a French major than I did as a, uh, as a jazz studies major. Right. It was kind of interesting. It's where, you know, I went to school for, for music mm-hmm. and I was like two years into it and thought the same thing. I was like, ah, this doesn't really, so I switched, it's, I left I was at Villanova. I left because I was a business major, and, and right. I, I remember sitting in the marketing class, and I was like, "Man, I don't want to be doing this. Right. I want to play drums." Right. So I leave, go to go to study music, and I'm, and I'm sitting in the class. I'm like, "Man, I don't want to study music. I want <laughs> I want to go back to business." So I I stayed at Kutztown, but I you know I graduated with a with a minor in music, but right. but a business degree because that I don't know the academia thing for me was the same way. But I wish I would have done the same. I wish I would have learned more. Yeah. theory and, and i played piano for like nine years right and i can play mary had a little lamb right maybe right you know yeah yeah i, I think when my son starts piano lessons i'm gonna start with him better late than never yeah absolutely uh, yeah it's funny i i mean i wish in a lot of ways i wish that it was mandatory if you're going to be a musician or a music major that you have to have some marketing and some business classes mm-hmm. um it, it just the, the opportunities that maybe existed or that 
and existed in legend, I think are gone these right. days. If you can't market yourself and can't figure out a business plan and how you're going to make it work and how you're going to make a living, it's a real rough business. Well, that was the the real drive behind starting this website is that there's a million other guys out there that can tell you how to play paradiddles and all this right. other stuff. But I love the business side of music, but I, you know, I love playing as well. So I wanted to try to help people bridge that gap and say, okay, I'm a really great drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, like how can I market myself? Right. How, how do I create a, a Facebook page or a website or, you know, right. how do I get, you know, how do I attract an audience or something? Cause you see all these people out there that have Facebook pages and they have, you know, 50 likes or 20 likes on their Facebook page right. where it's like, well, you need to figure out how to gain more traffic to your site or, or right. whatever it is. And it's not like a, it's not a sleazy thing. It's just a way of, you know, of marketing yourself and, and learning the business to. behind it. Yeah, absolutely. No one's going to discover you in your bedroom. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, for me, one of the best lessons I ever learned was just pay somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Right. I used to try to do everything myself. And you learn a lot that way, and there's a lot you can do. But at a certain point, you just just there are other people who have devoted their lives to designing Facebook pages or right. you know websites, or, website, whatever it is. Yeah. you know, coding. Just you know, there are only so many hours in the day. Mm-hmm. You got to focus on what you can and realistically what, what you can re- realistically accomplish. So you know, once I found a graphic designer I loved, and and you know, <laughs> Matt who uh, who works works with me and you know he's better video stuff than uh, okay matt you're you're gonna edit the videos right you know joseph you're doing the design uh i'll work on whatever i work on right um and that's that's been uh that's been that's worked out well the uh on the uh the financial end i i had a really interesting talk with um with a couple guys who were uh they've been session musicians in in new york since the 70 and 70s and and you've Everybody listening has heard them play on records, right. uh, major major records of the uh, the seventies and eighties, and uh, they were telling me about about the uh, the session or the the gigging scene in New York, and they're saying in the seventies a good gig paid a hundred bucks, and uh, and back then in the seventies you know you could do a few of those and you could make a living you could you could raise your family whatever it didn't take that many hundred dollar gigs and that's kind of what a gig paid, um, and it's still the same. Right. I mean, it's still a hundred bucks is kind of what a gig pays now. Yeah, it's like a, a hundred bucks a man. Yeah. You know. And that's how many eighty nine, you know, forty years later, thirty something years later. That's, I mean, and that's what you're up against. And right. So how many hundred dollar gigs does it take to pay rent in exactly. New York City? So, um, you either have to figure out how to live really cheaply, or figure out how to do something else that pays more, or hustle a whole lot of hundred dollar gigs right and i mean you and i probably don't both know guys that do it mm-hmm. um yeah i'm i'm out of that race because i i actually like to see my family occasionally right uh, i'm the same way yeah yeah well not my family but i don't you know i don't want to be and i'll take you know i'll, I'll take gigs here and there, but oh, it's yeah. like i i like being able to travel or you know go do what i want to do and have the a little bit of financial freedom to to do that but if you're you know working gig to gig right you know it's like if that gig gets canceled or right you know whatever then and it, it's such a catch-22 because it's like okay i want to live in la or new york or you know nashville nashville's a little bit cheaper but if you want to live in new york or you want to live in la the rent is sky high mm-hmm. and those gigs aren't paying anymore it'd be different right. if they're paying three or four hundred dollars a night sure. 
you know, to keep up with the yeah. with the, the cost yeah. of living. Oh, but my God, but it's just not working. So you're you're gonna live in you know you're gonna pay sixteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars a month for this apartment yeah. in New York, and then and that's apartment in quotes, by the right, way. right. It's a <laughs> closet. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's you know now it's just and the gigs are just drying up too. Yeah. So it's more people and you know less gigs and yep. same amount of money. And and lots of people will do it for free. Yeah, just with the experience. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I did uh-huh. coming up. Yeah, I've know. definitely played a ton of free gigs. Yeah. you know, to get the exposure, or to get the experience, or yep. or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's uh, anyone listening. <laughs> if you're going into music for money, you are a fool. <laughs> if you happen to make a little, good for you, and it can be done. Right. But don't think that it's gonna your life is gonna be riding around in uh, limos, drinking Hennessy. Right. Because it ain't. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, if you look at like look at somebody like Hal Blaine, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he had like he was a millionaire, yeah, just from session gigs, yeah, yeah. You know, he's like cutting records, and he, this dude's like mansions and Rolls Royces yeah, yeah. and all this did, stuff. Did you see the uh, the movie, uh, The Wrecking Crew? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's great. I I heard that it's amazing. It's I haven't seen it. I was listening to an interview with him though. Okay, and he's like, oh yeah, Rolls Royce, or mansion, boat, yacht, yep. all kinds of stuff. Yep. And he's like a session guy. Yeah, you know, like that stuff's not happening. No, nope, sure isn't. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was. I think I don't know if everybody like caught on to it. We're like, oh man, that's what I'm going to do. Right. But, you know. But then the labels stop putting the money into the yeah into the records and it starts yeah. to slowly dry up. Yeah. Yeah. So on the one hand, that's depressing, and I'm I'm bummed. I have a friend who uh, he had two million dollar deals in the '90s, and uh, you've never heard of him, and you know they didn't really go anywhere. But you know he did have two different levels. Like, okay, yeah, great. We'll put in a million bucks for your your deal. And um, I just regret that I moved to New York after those dried up. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I I never got to experience those problems. Right. But um, yeah. So it's it's. Maybe depressing on the one hand if you think, oh, what used to be, or in theory, what used to be. I don't know if it ever really was that easy. Um, but, you know, like we were saying earlier, there are a whole bunch of new opportunities now to do really interesting things. Right. So That's what I, I like the, the aspect of leveling the playing field a little mm-hmm. bit. So, you know, you can, if you're good, uh, there's definitely mediums out there to get your stuff out there so you can do it on you know through the internet or through right. digital distribution or through YouTube and and Facebook and all this other stuff and you know you don't have to you don't have to be on some major label to have right. like a nice website and a nice right. presence and put out a good product right you know so on one end it might be a bad thing yeah. but on one end it's a good thing and cream always rises to the top though yeah yeah you know in theory in theory yeah as long as you don't sabotage yourself and right yeah I, I do like the fact that I have clients in Europe and Asia who I've never even spoken to on the phone. And, right. You know, and it works. It works just fine. Uh, Which, see, that's something like in the 70s wasn't possible. No way in hell. You know? No so it's not. it's like one thing's coming in, but yeah. or one thing's going out, but another thing's coming in. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you know, how many other people are doing drum tracks online? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you get noticed there, too? So, and... um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I was... My friend and I were talking. What's you know what's what is the easy way to make a living these days? And right, I don't think it exists. No, even if you win the lottery, everything I've seen says that's a whole new set of problems. So right, uh, they say statistically, people that didn't that don't have money and they win the lottery are usually broke in five years. Right, 
because they don't they never built the skills up to manage money properly and then they get all right. this money and then it's gone and, right you know they right. blow it all or right whatever <laughs> so i'm probably one of those guys yeah i'm sure i could squander millions easily given the you know i'd like the chance to try it yeah what's that uh to les brown quote he says uh Money isn't everything, but every but but everybody wants to at least have a shot at it, or something, yeah. or or everybody wants to see for themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, with, with a lot of people that that listen to this are you know up and coming drummers that are looking to get into the business. Maybe not after that conversation that we just had, <laughs> but uh, well, you should if you have any doubts whatsoever, do something else. Yeah. If you have any doubts that. Well, maybe I should be a you know fashion designer, or maybe I should be a an accountant, you know. But I also like drums too. Be an accountant because right. yeah, this this way is hard. If you know for a fact that this is the path and there is no other path, and come hell or high water, this is what you're going to do. Do it, you know. Sure. If you know, you'll you'll find ways to deal with to make money or, or deal with not having money, or you know, you have to be resourceful. You have to be quick on your feet. Right. Uh, and you have to be real adaptable, but, um, cause the stuff changes really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it can be done. So what do you think is the, the way to, to really bridge that gap from say, you know, somebody listening to this is coming out of, or, you know, they're in college or mm-hmm. they're getting ready to graduate college and they're, they're like, man, I really want to, I really want to get into the, to the music scene. It's like, how do you make the train? I think the biggest question that a lot of people have, and I'm sure you had it when you were younger, it's like, how do I make that jump? How do I make that next step at, from being a guy that plays $100 gigs in some crappy bar to somebody that's has endorsements or is in Modern Drummer right. Magazine? Or, or making the step between playing gigs and then getting paid $100. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that was nice. I remember that transition. Uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah, good. That was, whew, made, <laughs> made it to that level. Um, um I mean, I think the same way you do it anywhere else and anything else. You work your ass off. You take every opportunity you can possibly get and um, try to do a great job. You know, a lot of it, too. I, th- I mean, there are a lot of great drummers out there. You have to be, you also have to be somebody that somebody wants to spend time with. I mean, if you're somebody nobody wants to be in a room with, it doesn't matter how great you are. Right. Um, I see some people, you know... I see people not get that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's real important. I mean, there, you know, you have to be, you, there's not a whole ton of money in this industry. It's not, it's not finance where you can be a ruthless bastard and, you know, and you'll, you'll make more money than anyone. Right. It's uh it's such a collaborative thing that um, you, you do have to be able to get along with people. And, and if that's not a skill right now, it's something you should definitely try to cultivate. Um, so, but aside from that, take every opportunity you can possibly get. Um, you know, for me, it was, I toured, toured the States for 13 years in a, in a broken down van, uh, playing every gig we could possibly play. And I think we played 22 or 2300 shows of that van in 13 years. Hmm. Um, in just about every kind of circumstance you could imagine. And, uh, I mean, you learn a whole lot from that experience. Not sure. just, you know, not only just how to play the drums, right? But, you know, how a show works, how to how to play the drums for a show, how to tune the drums to a room. Um, 
how to deal with people, how to fix an alternator on, you know, <laughs> the side of the road at three in the morning. How to get into your equipment trailer when you leave the keys at home, which, yeah. which we did. Yeah, or... In 10 degree weather, you know, in to Vermont. Make, to make sure somebody didn't get stoned and forget to lock the trailer. Right. Before right. you drive down the highway. Um, we learned that one in Chicago. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think you just got to bust your ass and, and learn everything you can. Try to, um, any chance you can to intern for somebody who knows what they're doing, take it, take it, take it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, learn everything you possibly can. Uh, I think for drummers too. And, and I think one of the reasons that my career has worked is, um, I see a lot of drummers who, if they're recording or gigging, they're clearly playing for other drummers mm-hmm. as in the parts they're playing are parts that they learn from other drummers or they learned you know is in a book or is in a uh, on a video or something and it's you know a solo drum a drummer you know alone in the studio saying hey here's some cool stuff i do and you you hear that by itself and like yeah that's pretty cool um but if you try to play that in a song with four other people it doesn't work usually right. usually you're just too damn busy uh i mean I've done a lot of tracks over the years where there's a pre-recorded drum track and there's just no room for anything else. So the the artist or the producer comes in and ditches everything that was there before, which mm-hmm. if you solo it, it's like, wow, that's pretty badass. You know, that's all the cool chops and, you know, a nice feel and everything else. But then you put the rest of the band around it, it's just too busy. Right. Um, stepping on everybody's stepping toes. Stepping on everyone's toes. And, and I see a lot of drummers not understanding that. Um so I do feel, I mean, I, I'm definitely influenced by uh, Kenny's less is more philosophy. It's got to mm-hmm. sound great and feel great, but a lot of times if you strip away, the more stuff, stuff you strip away, the more important everything you play becomes. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes I tell people that I charge extra if I have to play a fill. And that, <laughs> um, that usually puts it into perspective and, you know, okay, well, well I'm going to pay for one fill in this song. Right. I don't really charge extra for fills, but I sometimes I think about it that I should. Right. Um, or cymbal crashes. <laughs> you, get, you know, this song gets three cymbal crashes. Where do you want them? That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all you get. And uh, most of the time, that's all the damn song needs. It needs three damn cymbal crashes. Right. One at the top of the solo, one at the top of the final chorus, and one at the final of the song. Right. Otherwise, you know, there's plenty of other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're not a fan of the God's gonna got God's gonna got crash everyone, everyone, everyone. It's it's really cool if it's you know if, if you're at a drum. If there's nobody else playing. There's no one else. You know, it's a drum clinic. Absolutely. I right, mean, right. You know, sometimes I solo the stuff I do on this track and listen, like you know, it's pretty boring by itself. It's you know, it's coordinates on a ride symbol or mm-hmm. or you know, it's the simplest drum beat. You know, the first drum beat I ever played. Um, I put them on anything. I mean, you know, beat number one, lesson one, A one, basic rock beat. You know, still, how many years later, 30 some years later, I'm still, that's my bread and butter beat. Um, so it's, yeah. So I'm trying to find that walk that, uh, that line between, you know, playing sometimes you're like, okay, Dylan, play a damn fill. Okay. All right. Fine. So you try to, I, I try, I usually, um, I try to go start with less and then add more as needed. 
as opposed to playing everything I know, and then you got to strip away, strip away, strip away. Right. Um, so how did you develop that feel? Because I know that it's hard for for people to not play busy. You know, because yeah. I think it's like, a lot of times I'll tell people, okay, play the same thing for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Play just a groove. No cymbals, no nothing. For five, it's hard to do. Yeah. You know, so how did you how did you start to really refine your your playing so that you're concentrating on playing for the song, not for your yourself or your ego? Um, listen a lot to other music that you like, and really pick apart what the drummer is actually doing. Um, you know, and if you're listening to Dream Theater, everything I'm talking about is, is right out the window. window. Right, that's playing a simple rock beat over Dream Theater is completely inappropriate. I think, right. you know, except for maybe one section of some song. But, right, right. But, um, so, I, I, and maybe I should clarify all of this by saying, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, a pop or singer-songwriter or something that would be on the radio or something where the drums are not the main focus of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a math rock band, again, this advice is straight out the window. Um, but yeah, you know, listen to, um, I don't know, I... For um, I, I play a lot of singer songwriter gigs these days, and and my template was a lot of the stuff that Sean Felton played with uh, with Sean Colvin in the nineties. It's just great, just feels great. The sounds are really cool. Mm-hmm. It's nothing complicated. I mean, there's nothing. If you charted it out, you know, most beginning drum students could could work out the coordination. Right. And, um, but um, the sound and the feel of it is everything. Sure. So um, yeah, for me it was it was um, just trying to. You know, sit down with the metronome and uh, really slow. You know, just forty beats a minute, and play play your basic rock beat of forty BPM. And which, when I first started, was the hardest damn thing. It's hard, man. In the world, it's real. Oh my god, <laughs> there's so much space in between each beat. But if you just sit down and do it, and then relax against against the click, then it becomes second nature. And then it's you know, if the song really just calls for. You can do it because, like, oh, yeah, it's easy, right? Um, and it feels good. And it feels good if you, you know, if you're yeah, if, taking the time if to you practice. Take the time. It. Uh, a big step in that direction for me was uh, when I first moved to New York. I had two lessons with Billy Ward, mm-hmm. um, and his whole concept of mechanisms was, is brilliant. Uh, and for me, that was, for me, that's when I felt like I finally understood how to to play like a, a professional. That was the idea, and and. Very specifically for me, it was um, this left heel thing. Like left heel is always tapping out some subdivision on the um, the hi hat pedal plate, um, and uh, so I mean I basically went back through everything I every drum book I'd ever learned and just worked out the coordination to have my left heel always tapping through whatever I was doing or generally, um, and because uh, that that was a coordination challenge I wasn't used to it. What do you usually so. tap it out quarters? Well, it depends on the tempo. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's, if here's your beat, uh, maybe it's, you know, uh, yeah, eighth notes, sixteenths if it's really slow. Right. Um, it, it, so it's really tempo dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's 120 BPM, it's quarter notes. Right. Uh, if it's 80, it's probably eighth notes. If it's 40, it's probably sixteenth notes. Right. Um, and same thing on a, on a six eight two, and if it's you know real, um, then I'm definitely hitting the uh, the eighth notes mm-hmm. with with my heel. But if it's you, know, then I'm just doing quarter notes. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so 
for me, that idea of getting your entire body becomes the beat or it becomes the rhythm uh, as opposed to before I was thinking everything is, you know, the top line is, is the right hand on the hi-hat and then the middle line is the snare drum and the bottom line is the right foot and they're all, you know, these individual notes that you're, you're right. then trying to line up. Um, you know, trying to think about drums that way only goes so far. So this this idea of your entire it's like body... It's boxy if you're looking yeah, at it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so your entire body just becomes this beat, mm-hmm. which is great on drum set. Um, on a side note, I think it makes for terrible dancers, So, which is why every drummer I know can't dance. <laughs> and I even read I even read uh, uh, John Blackwell of Prince. I, I thought I read he couldn't dance either. Like, well, if the funkiest drummer on the planet can't dance, can't dance then we have an issue as drummers that we need to address. <laughs> Uh, but I think a lot of it has to, you know, you train every limb to work completely independently of each other. Well, that's why, that's why we make people dance rather than dance. Exactly. We yeah. do as we say and not as we do. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a subject for, uh, I, I want my own expose and then uh, video tutorials. <laughs> Get some dancers to teach drummers how to dance. <laughs> and you got to break it down like, okay, you know, you shake your booty on the one and on the... And of two, you know, you've got to, you know, put your hands in the air or whatever, but you have to break it down very specifically for drummers to, you know, the left foot goes here, the right foot goes there. Um, might have a business prop. You might have a business model there. Yeah. Start... Yeah. <laughs> online drum, online, online dance lessons for drummers. Dan, Dan, yeah, Dan, Dylan's, uh, yeah, Dan, Dylan's drum dance school. That's, yeah, yeah. Watch. Dylan's dance groove. <laughs> Watch this bass, folks. So when you get, so say I'm a producer and I call you and I say, okay, I need you to, you know, put this track together. Mm-hmm. Um, or I need you to, you know, do, to do this drum part for this tune. How does it, can you kind of walk us through that process? Like what exactly, because I'm sure they don't just say, here, man, do whatever you want. Sometimes they do. And do that's they? fun. Um, and sometimes they want highly specific sounds. Right. Um, so I, I can't even walk you through that process uh, every song is so radically different in terms of what's what's required. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thrilled to say I'm doing a really wide variety of stuff. Um, so the um, I guess the only the microphones usually pretty much stay put. Uh, the hardware stays put, and everything everything spiked on the carpet. So I know where the stands go. But aside from that. Every kick, snare, cymbal, tom, percussion piece, um, the kick mics, the snare mics, the overheads, the room mics, they all are completely dependent on what the song is. So maybe two theoretical examples would be, um, let's say it's a, a really quiet singer-songwriter piece. Um, where it's just you know really delicate vocals and, and the piece comes in and it's just uh, her strumming on an, an acoustic um, and there's a tempo, and there's, you know, kind of the acoustic, and there's, um, and a vocal on top. So a song like that, um, I would start pulling out gear, maybe, um, you know, uh, really softer drums, um, maybe, um, you know, like a large, I I used to do a lot more vintage drums. Now that GMS has these super vintage drums, I use these all the time and have another one coming, a 10 by 28, which I can't wait for singer-songwriter gigs. Um, Nice. But, you know, like these big, warm, old bass drums or old-sounding bass drums with, um, you know, maybe uh, the, the heavy lamb's wool beater. Mm-hmm. And that would be the foundation of the kick drum where you just, you don't want a real hard smack to it. You just kind of want a, a warm, uh, the, the warm, low-end 
poof, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the snare is maybe a low, something tuned low. Um, you know, maybe a seven or eight inch by fourteen inch mahogany or, or something tuned low, um, pretty muffled. Um, you know, maybe use brushes or or mallets or something, and uh, the cymbals would be dark, thin, whatever. Uh, a lot of room mics, uh, ribbon mics on the rooms. Um, you know, just to to kind of keep that really mellow vibe, and then start building up a, a track from there. Uh, a lot of also because I'm usually coming into the ground floor of these songs, um, I have to leave room for all the other instruments. And right. Most of the time, I don't know what's going on top. I just know they need the foundation to build the rest of the song on. Um, so, you know, again, it's it's that thing where it's like you solo by itself. Like, there's not a whole lot there. You know, right. there's a real simple groove, and then maybe they, maybe they hit a crash some on the chorus lightly, and then maybe it goes to the ride some on the bridge. Um, you hear it by yourself, like you know, okay, well, I don't hear any. Where's the you know, where's the where's the drummy action? Right, right. There isn't any because you know, there's a violin solo, and there's going to be four background singers, and you know, um, whatever. A lot of times, I'll, I'll so in a song like that, maybe I'd overdub a shaker or um, or a tambourine or something on the on the choruses to kind of lift those up and, mm-hmm. and differentiate them. Um, so that that will be one example. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I'll get stuff where there's it's a completely finished song. It's really dense. There's a lot of material there, uh, and they don't like the drums, or you know maybe they're uh, the drums are too busy, or you know weren't in time, or maybe they're programmed drums. And they want a live drum feel. Um, something like that gets much more specific, as in uh, the frequency ranges are already taken up with a lot of other stuff. Right. Um, so. For a situation like that, for example, uh, I had a, a hip hop project in recently was really dense. Um, so the sounds, the sounds of the drums have to be much more contained. Um, so the, the kick would be pretty, pretty muffled, but you know, I have a real hard, uh, hard impact, a lot of low end, really just to kind of fill out the bottom of the sound, mm-hmm. the, the low end of the spectrum. You, know, you got to have a smack of the uh, of the the, um, the beater to cut through, so you can you can hear it through the mix. Uh, the snares would be, again, snares would be tight, muffled. Uh, there's just no room for a bunch of extra ringing sounds, mm-hmm. you know, because those you start compressing those ringing sounds, and then the ring comes up, and suddenly the snare drum lasts a beat and a half, and it really just needs to be like, right. Um, you know, cymbals would be, you know, um, something like that. For example, I would take maybe five. Sometimes on the track, I'll take five or ten pairs of hi hats. Um, I, I have a whole bunch of them from all different, all different periods, and some are some are nice new ones, and some are totally destroyed old ones. Uh, and just start auditioning, you know, different tops with different bottoms to get the one that actually fits in whatever um, frequency spectrum is left. Um, you know, so sometimes it's way up high, sometimes right. it's kind of low. Um, I find that overall, that's a really important thing is getting finding your hi hats on. If you are going to play eighth notes through the entire damn song, you're probably there are probably more note more eighth notes on the hi hat played than any other instrument. Sure. Um, so you have to really think about what that symbol would be, uh, and it's you know, are you trying to go right at the same frequency as the vocal? Are you trying to get above? Uh, or trying to get below? A lot of times, for right. example, if it's a for um, a female singer songwriter where they with a higher voice, I'll try to go below. So I'll use right. 15 or 16 inch 
hats, uh, you know, on thin, dark, you know, just to get under it, so the voice has the room to really shine. Right. Because uh, on all these songs, if you can't hear the vocals, if you can't hear them clearly, if you can't tell what what they're saying, you have pretty much failed in your job as being the session drummer on right. that song. Right. Um, so now is that something that you that you studied, or did someone teach you how to do all these different things with colors and textures and or did you, or was it more of like a trial and error? Um, it was a trial and error, and, and yeah. being, you know, and because it's not an easy thing. To, it's not just like, okay, I want a, I want a kit that sounds like, uh, you know, a 1973 Stevie Wonder record, right? You know, and it's like, shit, where do I start? You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but you could, you could do that. Sure, yeah, I would use those, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, you know, turn them up and muffle them, and. Um, well, that, that's why you should read and watch and listen to everything you possibly can because that information is out there. Uh, if you Google how to get, you know, early 70s Stevie Wonder drums, somebody's probably talked about it and they've talked about, you know, maybe take the bottom heads off the rack toms and muffle the, the top or muffle both, you know, if you don't have drums with internal mufflers, uh, top and bottom, like they would have been in 1973, right. you know, put some duct tape or, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of it. Um you know, the symbols would be thin, well, at that point they were probably thin A's from the 60s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, um, or early 70s, so, you know, much thinner than modern symbols. Um, you know, the sticks would be thinner because no one had, people weren't using these marking sticks like they, they are today, um, and the playing style would be much more coming from jazz, although, you know, filtered through a 60s and 70s philosophy um and that just comes from you know i've read every issue of modern drummer ever right <laughs> you know that that's a good place to start sure um and those are all available now um yeah you just gotta uh, so i guess to answer your question you know i learned trial and error doing my own records um my old my old band used to produce ourselves and you learn some from that and mm-hmm. then having a real producer who's had this experience to say, no, don't use those hi-hats because those are right exactly in the frequency range of the singer and the right. singer wins and your hi-hats don't. So get rid of them. Get rid of them. Get, get something else. That, right. You know, I want to hear the vocals, not your stupid hi-hat. Right. Um, yeah, there was a trend in the 90s. I swear, you know, with cymbals got about a quarter of an inch thick and freaking hi-hats are the loudest thing yep. on these tracks. And the snares were really high too. Yeah. Which was weird. I I remember like when we were cutting uh, a record. Oh, I guess it was like eight years ago or so. Um, and I walked in. And we we're listening to it. And I was like, it "Sounds like a '90s record." Right. I was like, "The snares like through the roof." Yep. You know, the hi hats are all in your face. Yep. I was like, "Man, it's like well, let, 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 let's sit back a little bit." Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you know, everything's a everything's a trend. So that right. trend will come back too, and and people are going to be collecting '90s hi hats because yeah, they, didn't, they don't make them thick like they used to. Right. You know, I can get out on these thin ones. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, skirts go long, skirts are short. Right, skirts right. are long, skirts are short. Whatever. Right. It all comes around. Um, you know, I've been doing this a long time too, so I'm starting to see a lot of these trends circle back around from the first and second time. Right. Um, You're like, man, I did that ten years ago. Yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know. So, what do you have going on now? We were. Uh, you said that you were. You have the Grammy stuff that you're that you're up for, and then uh, what other stuff are you working? Let's on? Let's see. What am I working on? A a big video project that 
when I am allowed to announce it, I will certainly be announcing it. But um, right now it's just uh, setting up this, uh, turning the studio into um, a, a full service video and, and audio production suite. Um, so I have a, uh, a next, my next big learning curve is, is getting the, uh, the video gear up and running. Um, doing some touring this year um, with um, going to fabulous Minneapolis and next weekend this is in January in the uh, middle of the coldest snap we've had in decades yeah so man really excited to go to Minneapolis in January it's supposed to be like I think it's supposed to be 6 tomorrow here great it's 46 today it's supposed to be like <laughs> 6 or 10 tomorrow or something like that I'll, I'm leaving for LA next Monday oh, for like 25 man. days lucky man lucky man I like cold and all but uh, you know come on that's ridiculous uh, you know what I think I'm over the cold <laughs> I've done with it I've lived on the east coast my whole life and I'm yeah, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, so you're going to Minneapolis. Oh yeah, so uh, some touring with some uh, some different artists, um, singer songwriter, some doing some modern country stuff, which is new for me. Um, uh, some um, uh, some Taiwanese pop uh, for a movie project is coming up. Uh, what else? And uh, some some indie rock coming up. Uh, it's a bunch of stuff, and it's always different. And a lot of it just sort of, I open up the email, and, oh, okay, I'm doing that today. Nice. Um, which is good, because I have a, a full calendar of stuff I need to be doing, but then, you know, when, when the when the tracks come in, everything gets dropped, and I do the right. tracks. So, um, yeah, what else? Just, you know, the usual playing drums and recording them. There's a session in Brooklyn for a record next week. Just making hit so records make, like I normally do. Just yeah, just, hit. you know. What's that? Most people, I'm, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. Except when I do, I make hit records. <laughs> you know, uh, I make records. So, it's fun. I, you know, I just, again, it goes back to, um, I'm still two hitting pots and pans with sticks and wooden spoons in the kitchen. So, right. uh, now I just have a, a bigger kitchen, a whole lot more pots and pans. So, it's right. good. So, what are the, what are the big, the biggest records that you played on? Uh... Let's see. Well, Drake, Drake sold the most. Uh, take care. Um, I think for me, it's Alicia Keys' "Girl on Fire." That mm -hmm. was, I mean, that's that's the biggest song. That I've, song was everywhere. Yes, absolutely. That's got to be a I, good feeling, though. Like walking it, around, you're like, eh, I played John. It's Bobby. pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, yeah, I just heard there was a, a Jay Z song that was my first introduction to uh, to not getting on a record, which is from the Black Album. I you know, like, got the call. It's gonna be my first big break, right. and I'm gonna be on the song. And uh, and then we started setting up, and then got a call about an hour later saying, "Oh yeah, they uh, they double booked producers, so we're not gonna." Like, ah! I I couldn't. No, oh, well, so you know there have been lots of those over the years, right? Um, <laughs> so some including some big names, but you know none who none of whom I can uh, publicly discuss. So uh, you know I, I don't get. Um, I used to get bummed by those and well whatever they come they go so how does that work with the so do you get credits on the record then yeah. right yeah. yeah so and then um and if you don't want you know if you don't want to get into this that's fine so but when they if they contact you is it always just they just pay you for your time there's an, as, or is there ever the option of like working out points or anything like that on the record um not at this level no yeah yeah i mean you know i am a session musician i right. i do my job i get paid right and they send me away um I just I wasn't sure if 
you know. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not writing or, or producing. So right. I wish I were. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 where the money is. That's the next step, man. That's the next step. That's the next so, step. Uh, yeah. First, I got to learn how to play piano. Yeah. One you year. and me both. Yeah. Exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you at the. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you at piano lessons. Yeah. <laughs> so, if somebody wants to get you on their on their record, what do they need to do? Uh, just go to indiestudiodrummer.com and uh, contact contact me there. Cool. And what's the uh, there? There was a uh, you did a, the Modern Drummer video for the Alicia Keys. Oh thing. yeah. So yeah. where is that? Just on ModernDrummer.com. Yeah. If you do a, it's on YouTube. It, it was interesting. That's why I want to. Oh, cool. Let cool. people to you know go fun. to there and check it out. It was, so. uh, yeah, it was fun to do. We we had iPhone threes and flip cameras to do it with. So uh, you know the uh, the video production level is not the highest, but. It was fun to do. It was interesting yeah. though. That's yeah, cool. you know the the yeah. content was. was we, good, we, so. had a, we had a good time. I wouldn't that. even. I would have never guessed that it was filming an iPhone. Either, oh yeah, so. yeah. It was a, a, a barely functioning steam powered iPhone <laughs> <laughs> left over from the dinosaur days. There's a rat on a on a wheel. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, it was a really it was a nimble rat, so we got some good use out of it. <laughs> it's cool. Well, cool, man. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely, I, I really pleasure. appreciate it. It was awesome, and uh, yeah, check out Dylan at. IndieStudioDrummer.com if you want some uh, some great drum tracks on your next project. All right. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Cool, man. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Absolutely. So there you have it, Mr. Dylan Wissing. Be sure to check him out, IndieStudioDrummer.com, I-N-D-I-E, StudioDrummer.com if you want some killer, killer, Grammy Award-winning, platinum-selling quality drum tracks for your next project. Check out drummersresource.com or like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That way you can get it right on your phone or your iPad or whatever device you're using. And you can also leave some reviews on there, and I would greatly appreciate that. And if you want to reach me directly, you can reach me on Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And until then, keep drumming, and I'll be back next week with a good podcast for you. All right. Peace.